My mom's a hairdresser. I didn't really know what it meant to do that, but I knew that she was working with her hands. She was every hour, an hour and a half, she had a new client or canvas as it were. And she came home and the joy I think that I saw in the satisfaction she got from making people leave her shop and with a smile on her face or feel good about themselves based on something that she kind of sculpted, if you will. I mean, that's an art form. I mean, that was an immediate reaction to something that she did. She would go to hair shows all over the country and bring me back little things and talk about a gallery she went to or what she saw there. And it, that world in the 80s of hair, as it were, it was just cool to go to her shop and, and kind of see creative people. Those were the first creative people I saw. There was never a question that I wasn't going to be able to do exactly what I wanted to do for a living because I saw her doing it. It just made sense to me. Like I thought everybody gets to do that, you know. Only now do I really understand, I mean, I've understand it for years, but how lucky I am to be able to do something that helps to support my family. And on the other side, it's exactly what I would be doing. Welcome to Hello Atelier. My name is Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. Hello. I know that we've talked about this before when we interviewed Kevin Kidney, but I think it has to be said again. I love tiki bars. We love tiki bars. In a great tiki bar, the outside world disappears the moment you step through the doors. An eight-degree winter day in Missouri can be left behind for an hour or two of life in a sultry island paradise. The first time I saw the paintings by this week's guest, Seth Smith, I had the same transportive feeling. Seth is Doc Brown from Back to the Future, and I am his Marty McFly. Okay. Seriously, I mean, Seth's paintings are my DeLorean. He lets me inhabit a design and cultural phenomenon at its absolute peak. Route 66 in the 1950s and 60s. A desert oasis of neon signs and mid-century hotels. And ultimately, the palm trees and beaches of the West Coast. Exactly. The big payoff. And Seth's technique anonymizes the scene just enough that it feels as if you've stumbled upon these places for the first time, and you're just a fellow traveler passing through. Photographs of the era can be too real and specific, but Seth's paintings allow you to take your own place in the scene. And where you're going and where you've been is entirely up to you, but for a moment captured on canvas, you get to appreciate the beauty of this bygone era and leave it up to the imagination of Seth Smith, a lifelong Midwesterner, to take you there. Exactly. So, of course, I was excited to see what Seth's studio looked like. Is it a vintage oasis right here in Kansas City? We visited just after he and his family had moved into a new home, and he was putting the finishing touches on the attached garage that he commandeered for his workspace. I could have hung out in Seth's studio all afternoon. The vibe is set perfectly with neon signs and skateboards covering the walls, but then there's the all-important record collection. As we'll hear. And rows of books and tchotchkes, endless inspiration. But what stopped me in my tracks was his original Sweet Pickles bus. Ah, yes. One of the rarer vestiges of a child of the 80s. I sense a theme of nostalgia. Anyway, there was just a warm, relaxed, beachy vibe about the place, and not just because of his paintings on the wall, or the decoupage coffee table that had layers of surfing pictures on it. You see, Seth's also a fan of tiki bars, and he intended to make his studio a similar immersive experience. You guys ever been to Casa Bonita in Denver? South Park did an episode on it, so it's in pop culture. You should look it up. It's basically a Mexican restaurant. They have like cave divers, and they had it was my it was one of my first like the tiki bar idea that some place could be not just a restaurant. It could be a lot of things. It could be you could feel like you're in another world basically. So as I've 
kind of designed my studio or the idea I have is in order for me to be creative and to get in that zone quickly because time, especially when you have kids, time is of the essence and sleep is not unlimited. I have to get into that world very quickly. So yes, playlists are my friend. I like to do that on trips as well. If I'm going someplace new, I'll take an album or a record that I've never heard before whether I know that I'm going to like it or not, so that every time after I leave that vacation, I'll just listen to that. No matter when I hear those songs, I will always think of that place. So I try to do that with, sounds so nerdy, but I try to do that with certain paintings, certain abstract paintings I do. Like if I'm doing abstract, I have a certain type of music, will have words in it. Maybe it'll be old Bob Dylan. It'll be something like that. But when I'm doing the kind of subjective work, the narrative stuff, it's always like CROs or it's, instrumental music or it's explosions you know things like that i like ambient noise so i've recorded a lot of webcam like street sounds and i'll play that in my studio it just helps me to get in that it just helps me personally kind of zone out and trust the process in a way that and not think about it too much seth smith is landlocked he grew up and continues to live in kansas where the only sea likely to surround you is an ocean of wheat or soybeans. And while gently waving green fields as far as the eye can see can be a beautiful sight, it is far from the gray and misty blues of Seth's thrashing oceans or the soothing teal swimming pools of his motel paintings. Whether violent or contemplative, water is a recurring theme in his work. One wonders when the compulsion to paint faraway beach scenes began. My friend John said to me a few years ago, he asked me why I was doing what I was doing. And it seems like a really simple question, but I don't think I was asking myself that enough. I don't think I would probably say most people don't ask themselves that enough. Like, why am I about to say this? Why am I about to do this? What is it going to accomplish? So I started thinking, what is it about the travel aspect of my work? Why do I keep coming back to that? Why when I close my eyes at night, I think about those themes. Grew up on about 30 acres, but I spent a lot of time outside. I used to go out on the back deck and uh, ride around on my trike, basically. And I, I used to listen to Mannheim Steamroller, Remember them? Fresh Air, one through seven, one through eight. I had headphones on, I had a Walkman on, and I was listening to this weird syn- synthesizer, kind of new age music, walking around my backyard. And I, I kind of realized recently that that's, that is the root of any visual thing I ever have. It's like, I like negative space, but then I also like kind of a, a little bit of a of an urban hard edge to some things. Growing up where I did, I like I said, I didn't have a lot. I didn't have neighbors that I could hang out with. So I don't remember drawing. I don't remember painting as a young child, but I remember thinking about and thinking about the world in kind of the way I do now when I am doing those things. You spent your summers, Upper Peninsula, Great Lakes area. And so is that kind of where you got your interest in water? Yes, growing up in summers and Lake Superior is basically an ocean. You don't see a horizon, you don't see land. I mean, as a kid, it didn't read anything other than, I didn't know bodies of water. I didn't, you know. So yes, so standing on the shores of that, again, a lot of times by myself, it was very haunting and it was very, the, the atmosphere was very gray and there's a lot of, there's a lot of visceral senses hitting. There was also the smell of all of it. It was an onslaught. And I didn't at the time, again, really understand why I liked that. But I think that the infinite horizon kind of, I like the hopefulness of that 
and it, it was very sublime in a way that it wasn't necessarily happy, but it wasn't sad either. You know, you could get on a boat and just go away, but then also the cadence and the rhythm of the water. I mean, I think there's something that hits your soul. Everybody really. I mean, there's certain things that just snap in line with kind of our rhythms. Seth actually began as an abstract painter. In his abstract work, you can see traces of his place paintings, if not in subject, then in color. Shades of gold, pink, teal, and black give the paintings that dreamlike quality seen throughout his work. I asked Seth what initially drew him to abstract painting. I'll be honest with you, I think it, for me, and just speaking for me, it was easier to do. I was a big uh, Turner fan, um, and I loved his big sweeping colorful skyscapes and I could do that and when I painted an abstract painting I didn't have to talk about it a whole lot I could just do it and I got a lot out of just the movement the mark making and the the color I always wanted to paint like Hopper and I always wanted to kind of paint things I wasn't confident enough then to do that getting into art school I wanted to find I was a printmaker and the painting really kind of intimidated me. And there were a lot of painters that were very, very good. There were some realist painters that I was just blown away. I didn't understand what they were doing. I don't think I really had like a narrative that I could hone in on, that I knew that I wanted to paint and be able to talk about it because that's what you do in art school. You talk about it and you talk about it. I wasn't prepared for that. Again, I I learned as a child that I didn't see what my mom did as having this great inherent depth, like intellectual depth to it. It, it, it was like a, a ray of sunshine or it was like, you know, smelling a smell that reminded you of when you were five. It was just a good feeling. So that was really one of the reasons because I was feeling that while I was painting, I wanted that to be a part of the experience that a viewer would have. Maybe I didn't really know how to talk about that. And it certainly didn't sound smart in art school. So I had a real bout for years with feeling very insecure about that, and I wasn't ready to start making things that I would have to talk about even further, I think. I go down to the Florida Keys quite a bit, and, and one day I sat and I watched the sun kind of cast a shadow on this door, this beautiful blue door, and all the different shades of blue and all the different shades of the gray and the white, the cool and the heat kind of meeting right there. It just was this incredible kind of dance. I was like, that's it. I love the shadow and light because when you see a shadow and light, you can feel the cool, you can feel the heat. And it is a very still contemplative feeling. And I was like, that's it. That's what I, as a kid, I think that's what I loved is I love seeing the shadows move across my lawn. I love seeing a storm rolling in the way that light would do that. And it, it was a very insular thing for me. So when I'm painting anything, I definitely get that all those feelings again. I want people to feel like they're alone when they look at it, maybe, and that they can go into themselves and maybe it'll bring up some memories of something good. I think overwhelmingly the mood is is usually happy in most of the work. Laying by a pool, floating, I mean, that's people typically look at that as happy. I do look at it still kind of in the middle. So if someone walks up and and sees a piece at an art fair and that's one of the reasons I love them is because I do get to have those conversations that's like one of the main draws too is that I can engage with people and find out what are they initially reacting to and do they do they feel that sense of kind of infinite abyss that I 
felt when I was painting certain things. Most of the time, it's more straightforward for them. It's more more happy. But sometimes when people get that, I, I really kind of want to talk to them more and find out and, and really kind of go into a little more and find out more about them. You do commission work? Yeah, about half of my business is commission work. I do abstract commissions, but they're hard. People think it's a good idea. You don't realize as, an, as a client, I think, what opinions you have until you see a painting you're buying and it's not exactly what you want. Abstract work, you fall in love. I mean, you know, you, you fall in love with what you fall in love with. If you could curate that yourself, you might paint it yourself. I, it is so hard because there's so many, much movement and there's so much seen and unseen that goes on with an abstract work in their head. So I, I don't like doing abstract commissions. I almost will always say no. The other work I do, uh, I, I do a lot of commissions with that. And it's kind of fun for me to do different things. Like people will send me all kinds of ideas and photos and they want me to create a painting for them of car portraits that I get to kind of try to do differently. You know, as a, as a kid, I, I drew a lot of cars. I drew Andre Agassi's shoe. You know, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff, you know, so it's kind of fun for me to take on those challenges and, and see that I can do it. In 1926, Route 66 was established, the first road to connect the nation from Chicago to Santa Monica. The legendary highway captured the imagination of America and became a symbol of freedom. Suddenly, anyone with a car could just hop on the highway and drive until they hit the ocean. In response to the wave of travelers, small, independent motels and restaurants opened along the route, wooing adventurers with their swimming pools and brightly colored signs. I found a box of old travel postcards in the 50s and 60s. I mean, I saw these colors and I saw they were kind of, the printing was a little off and the signs were beautiful because we had to, in that time, really advertise to the family on the road. I mean, now motels hotels and motels don't have to have really any flashy curb appeal necessarily but back then you had to visually be a standout i just loved the names and the colors and and how it had to jump out of the natural environment and catch your eye or they were going to drive right by and that was a customer that drove by so i started to see in these postcards the murkiness of everything and i and then it's a very again a very hopeful just a very simple hopeful feeling that you can get on the road and you don't know where you're going to be that night so the motels and places that you paint are they places you've created in your mind or are they from postcards or have you seen them somewhere most of the time i puzzle together three different things i do the sign if if it has a sign in it i'll take a sign from a postcard or a photograph um, so in order to make the environment I want, I have to use that. And then I will so a lot of times take the perfect time of day uh, hitting another motel. I really have to piece it all together. I worked at the Wichita State Art Museum, the Ulrich Museum. I didn't help put on the shows, but I helped kind of catalog. They were digitizing everything. That was right when everything was getting logged into computers. So I spent a lot of time in the vault uh, there. And they had the racks they had the pull-out racks were just hundreds of paintings um that i'd never seen that no one had really ever seen that they'd acquired there was an artist named frederick waugh w-a-u-g-h and i think he might have been in a family of painters maritime painters maybe on the east coast but they were these huge seascapes and they were so incredibly done and so i got to spend again this quiet time with these big immersive rocky seascapes and that's when i started looking into a lot of that culture of that because i didn't it felt very familiar to me 
But I remember I was not a very good worker at that place. I would look more at the art and I would study more um, all this incredible work that I felt like it was my private viewing. But Frederick Waugh, I mean, I looked at this stuff and it was beautifully done. There was the brush strokes were so simple. And just to get that movement in water, you're right, is very it's like clouds. I mean, we, we see them all, all the time. Everyone sees them, but you take for granted as a painter, how can I show that? So I'm still not there, but that is the bar I've set for myself is to get the effortlessness there. And I, it's still a struggle for me. Before the internet, artists had two choices, get their work in galleries or go on the road. Of course, today they don't necessarily have to do either. Now they can build their relationships online, selling directly to their audience. But Seth has a special fondness for art fairs, for seeing the faces of new customers when they view his work for the first time, for building actual relationships with people, and, as he says, planting the flag of his art in their minds. I have a gallery here in town, the Rice Gallery. It's over It's in uh, Overland Park, and then one in Key West called the Lucky Street Gallery. Uh, I actually ran, helped run the Rice Gallery for about 10 years, and I think working every day at a gallery kind of burned me out a little bit on the gallery world as an artist. That's why I, I wanted to do art fairs. I wanted to kind of do my own kind of circus. Probably my most important mentor was a glassblower. I did a couple shows with him out in Colorado, and, and I saw a taste of that life. I saw the artist kind of, it's like a commune, you know, and just like the circus wrapped up Sunday night and it went to the next town. I, I loved that. There was a shorthand with everybody. I mean, it was like, it, it really seemed like a world that I would belong in because the intellectual art world seemed like something I didn't want to do. The printmakers and the glass blowers and the people that went to their studio every day and worked. And that's what Tom told me to do was go to your studio every day, whether you paint or not, read the newspaper, have a cup of coffee. That I liked in those people because I knew they were working their ass off um, to do, to be there. I believe there's a, a buyer and an audience for every, everybody and everything they do and make. They're out there. You just got to find them and try to get them. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Seth Smith. To learn more about Seth's work and to see pictures from his studio, head over to helloatelier.org. Hello Atelier is a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe for free on iTunes or Google Play, or head over to our Patreon page to become a patron. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and where you can live a little Hello Atelier every day.